Star Day 2276.9. I have wrested control of the captain's log to record sad news. It shall go down in history, the great dishonor that was done to my house. I go into battle to correct the grave wrong done to all in the house of Gowron. When Drex Cardus told Thopak Torgon, who told Clint, who told Cory, that the Chancellor's hair looked stupid. Clearly this cannot be forgiven, and so blood, glorious blood, will be spilled. May we wake again in Stovokor! But, Captain, these feelings are illogical. Spock, screw logic. You're dishonorable! What have you done with my culture? Wait, why do you have Kirk and Spock dolls? Where are their shirts? Emma, get out of my room! What are you doing here? What am I doing? What are you Do doing? Never mind. What? <laughs> what do you want? What? I Computer, I told you to lock the door. Yes, computer. I should not have had to see this with my own eyes. <laughs> what are you doing in my quarters, Evelyn? You have slandered the proud and noble history of Kalos and the Klingon warriors. I'm here to set things straight. With or without your head still attached to your body. Is this about our last captain's log about the Batleth? Yes, about your slanderous lies. I told you, Emily, they're, they're super dumb. You're super dumb. Your mom is super dumb. <laughs> and I have allergies, which will <laughs> make me sound like a girl and not the mighty Klingon warrior that I am. <laughs> oh. All right, Emily, so I heard you uh, you have some beef with our uh, our last episode. Oh, I have some bat leaf, if you will. Bat leaf? Some targ. Some targ. Some targ. Ground targ. Yeah. Yeah, I've got some targ to throw down with you. Uh, no, look, I have feelings and thoughts about the Klingons, and uh, you have opened the door wide open by talking about the Batleth for me to share those thoughts and feelings. And I'm going to start with my hot goss on the Batleth as I see it. Are you ready? Yeah, I mean, why, like, one, Emily, like, why are you, why do you love Klingons so much in the first place? Well, Corey said something as a negative that the the Klingons are always presented as these mighty warriors and everyone's like, ooh, they're so spooky and ferocious in battle. But then whenever you see them, they're very, uh, like, they have these very complicated social rituals and these wild feuds and crazy structures going back and forth forever. And uh, Corey says this is a negative, but I see it as a positive. The Klingons are one of the only cultures we see uh, among all the alien races that we meet that have this highly ritualized, complex, rich, and interesting social structure. They have a lot of traditions. They have lore and stories and religion. Like, most of the, like, these are all the markers of quote-unquote civilization or, like, an advanced culture, and Klingons have them more than anyone else. Like, we don't ever hear any other cultures talking about music or food as much as the Klingons do. And I just love that they love this mythology of themselves as being fearsome warriors. But then every Klingon we meet is like, ah, oh, let me tell you about some beautiful love poetry. Or, ah, oh, I'm such a foodie. Let's talk about these worms that we're going to eat. Like, I just, 
I just love it. They're such secret softies. I I guess I never really like thought about it as much, yeah. but they probably are the most developed race in right. Like even the Vulcans aren't as culturally or just aren't as lore developed or have as much backstory as the Klingons do. And the Vulcans have the little bit where they're kind of like, we were like this and then we split off and became Romulan and Vulcan or whatever. But like for the. Mm -hmm. And then they were super violent for a while and then they found they were saved by logic, but that's kind of like all there is about Vulcans where you have like the Klingon Messiah in Kalos, he's Klingon Jesus. Yeah. And like for that's they're like, yeah, that happened thousands of years ago. And then, you know, we've kept records ever since. And we've, you know, taken these precepts and developed them into like our own religion and and theater and opera and all these things. And I'm like, so in order to have this sort of memory bank from this legend, you have to have a certain amount of cultural stability in order to sort of develop these roots and build on them. And like, Mm -hmm. in all ways, Mm -hmm. like, and we never really see like Klingon cities that much. Like, that's where I want to go. That's where you're going to find like the hip arts culture. That's where you're going to find all this stuff, which brings me back to the (laughs) Batlet and my theory about it. Oh, I just want to say one thing too, is um, one, my favorite part of like Klingon lore or Klingon history uh, is that they don't have gods because they killed their gods after their <laughs> gods created them. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that. I mean, yes, of course! <laughs> uh, on DS9, when Jedzia and Worf get married, they yeah. they talk about the myth of Klingon heart being created, and then there's like the second heart being created, and then they turned against their gods and killed them. And I think Worf mentions it like in DS9, uh, they were talking about religion, and Kira was talking about the prophets, and they asked about Klingon gods, and Worf is like, We do not have gods, we killed them. Yeah, so that's just pretty hilarious. But also, too, I just also, like, a mainstay of a lot of religions is, like, the death of the gods. Like, the Ragnarok mm-hmm. cycle in Norse mythology and the Greek gods killing the Titan. And even, to some degree, God sending Jesus down to be sacrificed. Like, that's kind of a thing, is this idea of, like, there has to be a, a killing of the old in order to make way for the new. Which means that this is actually a pretty sophisticated mm-hmm. religion. Mm-hmm. And I just, too, want to call out, I think in TOS, they have more of a barbarian feel to them. We we haven't gone to it, but they have more of, like, a Mongolian yeah. kind of feel to it. And then in TNG, they, mov- they moved it to more of, like, a samurai motif or, like, a samurai theme. And so they become much more ritualistic and... That, that sort of thing. So I think that makes them make a lot more sense. They also kind of like their, their foreheads kind of look like samurai kind of helmets. And I don't know the way that they're... Yeah, the sort of the shape of the way the forehead is built up is sort of mm-hmm. that samurai vibe. But I, I think the Mongolian samurai is not such a stretch because I think what we're really seeing is something like the Mongol army or the Roman Empire, uh, where they're highly successful 
and so they're seen as great warriors, but they're really like cultural uh, colonizers. Even the mm-hmm. Vikings, you know, we think of the mm-hmm. Vikings as these like fierce, you know, hammer of the gods, Led Zeppelin, writing and raping and pillaging. But in reality, they would sail around and build little colonies and like, you know, intermarry with the locals and share what they've learned. And that's like the success of a lot of, you know, like the Incan Empire, or the Aztec Empire, or the Roman Empire, that they would go into these areas and Russia. Uh, they would go into these areas and take over violently, but then they would just say, okay, now let's integrate our cultures. And that's what I think the Klingons probably truly did, uh, why they have this sort of twin reputation of being mighty, scary, horrifying warriors, but at the same time, every Klingon we see is an opera lover. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this is highly educated uh, person who's well-versed in these extremely complex uh, social mores. And, and there are too a, a lot of mm-hmm. we've seen mating rules and like courtship rituals and the way that your house is, you know, how they hand down power or, you know, like Worf gets accepted into like a house that's not his and like his house is like discredited and dishonored to a point where he has to like join someone else's house yeah to be a part of them and like in some ways the klingon society is more has more gender equality than a lot of other societies that we encounter and when they don't there's like real discussion like they're like well what do you mean just because i'm a woman or whatever uh they're less like there's a lot of uh tension between like the old ways and the new in all the Klingon culture. And it would make sense that Worf is like obsessed with the old ways because he didn't grow up there. You know, he's like Mm -hmm. the first generation of immigrants born in the U S right. He's like, well, I Mm -hmm. am of the U S but I'm also of this culture, but I like, I have one foot in either space. So it would make sense that he would be like even more Klingon Mm -hmm. than the Klingons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Like it kind of comes up at like, he's almost like a passionless, replica of like the perfect it's like if you read what klingon culture is from a textbook and you didn't live it that is what Worf is which makes sense because he kind of grew up you know he was like eight or something when he was adopted by a human family yeah so he's like obsessed it's like he's like obsessed with like his klingon culture uh and and old style mm-hmm. like old country stuff and everybody's like what are you doing man almost like mm-hmm. he's obsessed with the best version of it versus i don't i guess we could like really get into some trouble but like almost religion i think <laughs> a lot of christians you could accuse them of not be not really living like there's a christian culture of people who are kind of intolerant and don't really reflect the true the true values of Christianity, which I would argue be, yeah. is like being nice to people and helping them out. And and so if you were cut off from that and only had the Bible, you might reflect those Differently. those values versus the Klingons. Like they're supposed to be honorable, but now they only care about like fighting and getting drunk and, you know, just fighting for fighting. Sake, well, and so this gets honor, back so. to. Yeah. And I would agree. I mean, American evangelicalism. <laughs> um but this gets back to, like, what I think the Batleth is and why it exists. But so if we think of the Klingons as this, like, 
let's call him a colonizing force um, with all that that might apply. And like this highly Mm -hmm. sophisticated, developed culture, then they don't also this fits in with the Star Trek universe because everybody has advanced weapons like the TOS. They're talking about nuclear weapons all the time and they don't talk about that in TNG. Mm -hmm. So we have to assume that like between those two eras, They've just advanced far beyond even nuclear weapons. They're dropping casually. Uh, but so in that sense, hand-to-hand combat would not matter. Like, why would you need to be a great warrior if every single person has a phaser and they can adjust it with the turn of the dial how dead they want you to be? So this is where I think the Klingons probably were great warriors back in the day before technology happened, right? Like Highlanders, the Scottish Highlands or whatever. Um but now, because that's sort of gone by, this is like their their myth, you know, that they cling to, that they think of as sort of like the animus of their culture. Sort of if you think about Americans, you know, we have this idea of the American frontier, even though that never really existed. Like, there were Native mm-hmm. Americans here. Um, and arguably now, the frontier is gone, even if it ever did exist. But we keep the idea of like the American pioneers and we have to, you know, strive to excel and go where no one's gone before. And, you know, we have to be first to the moon and we have like this myth sort of animates American culture. And I think that's what the warrior spirit really is to Klingons is like in the past we were like this and now, you know, haha, we still are. But in reality, they're not really that different from any other culture. Yeah, I I think, too, that's very astute of you, Emily. And there is something in Enterprise. Uh, I have not seen any Enterprise. Yes, I know that. Because uh, you're in the middle of your Voyager watch, yes. right? Yes. Which I don't, I'm not trying to, like, <laughs> nerd flex on you or anything. No, no, I know. <laughs> Tell me about what happens. But... There's an episode where Archer, he gets, this isn't a huge spoiler, it's just a little episode, but he gets put on trial in the Klingon homeworld for various stuff. And he has a lawyer, a Klingon lawyer, and he's kind of lamenting the fall of Klingon Mm -hmm. culture, where he said, like, he's a lawyer, his, like, mother was a scientist, and his father was, like, a professor or or whatever and he's complaining about how kids these days like young klingons they only care about becoming warriors like they only care about jumping in ships and getting honor and you know fighting people and so he was saying that scientists scientific discovery and you know being a good lawyer and those other kind of like necessities of culture are kind of waning and people only care about fighting and so i think it's a like it kind of sets an interesting trajectory um to like from that point in enterprise to tng where it's like completely like a warrior mindset um and you know you don't really see them like too many people um like you know trying to push science or studying like you do see like a few klingon scientists here and there and they do have some like vestiges of of what they used to be but yeah i think it was definitely like a culture where it used to be like much more robust kind of like more like humans where it wasn't a like they had this warrior mythology 
Um, but it didn't like completely take over the, the culture until, until later on. Well, and even in that episode, you know, it's like hipsters, like Americans mm-hmm. were trying to progress. And then it, it got to this point where they're like, yeah, but nobody makes anything by hand anymore. You know, it's like nobody just jumps in a starship and goes and kills some people anymore. Right. Like it's like the. Yeah, the, like, hipsters are, like, artisans, mm-hmm. right? Like, who make, like... Hand-carved, like, iPhone cases. But, yeah, like, no one no one just goes and kills someone with their hands anymore. Yeah, and so I think that this is, like... And Worf, I think, is a good person because he is sort of our touchstone. But even in TNG, where they're all, like, warlike, and in DS9, there are a lot like this, too, where they're presented as very warlike, but really they're always like diplomats and allies. They're never really starting the wars. Um, and they, they understand like alliances and geopolitical jockey a lot quicker than the Starfleet representatives do. Well, and they also too, like have their own internal complex political, mm-hmm. like, like power systems. plays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a lot of TNG went into the complex like political jockeying of the houses you know they had to abide by the lie of the duras house so it wouldn't start a civil war mm-hmm. which also is the introduction of my favorite character of all time gowron he's pretty great <laughs> that actor is so amazing the eyes the gowron yeah. eyes we've talked about um, this before but there's a tng like video cassette board game you know, those were popular in the nineties mm-hmm. and it's like kind of like that episode where no one's on the enterprise cause it's being like radiation cleaned. And so right now there's just a, a skeleton crew, but then a Cleon like comes on and like takes, hijacks the enterprise and you as like the lower deck crew, like have to stop him. Mm-hmm. But it's that actor. He's not playing Galron. He's playing just like a nameless or not nameless, but he's just playing like a, a whatever. Uh, yeah, but it's him just acting the whole time. It's pretty. I've only seen like a clip of it. I haven't seen the whole thing, but he's he's a great actor and he does a great job of of being Galron. So he's a sheer delight. Yeah. Uh, but this does bring me back to my idea of I think the Batleth is like perhaps was some sort of something at some point, but became this symbol of like old-timey thing mm-hmm. that people can cling to uh mm-hmm. and so it's it's like someone nowadays like being like yes i have a black belt in karate and then going to join the military and being like yes i'm a fiercer warrior and they're like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> you know like it becomes like a show or a ritual or like a hobby something you can be into which would explain why Alexander and all the Klingons are sort of like, why are you so obsessed with this Batleth and honor and why I have to do things this way? Like, mm-hmm. you know, Worf is like essentially in the year 2000 obsessed with the way that like this high Regency lifestyle or like the 1800s, you know, like, oh, everything was better than, you know, he's yeah. essentially a so cosplayer. Are you saying, yeah, so culture. are you saying like, Batlists are almost like the fencing, right? It's almost like a sport that you engage in rather than a tool for death. Yeah, or like, right? like you know, like Colonial Williamsburg or like those farms where you can go and people are like dressed up in the period costumes and churning butter mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. Orf is churning butter, yep. essentially. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> Ew. 
He's really milking it. You, there, I think uh, there is that episode you remember in TNG. It's it's kind of in the background, but he goes to a bat lift tournament. We talk about. I think we talked about this in the last one, but he goes to a bat lift tournament. I think. I don't think it's a karate tournament. I think it's a bat lift tournament, and like it keeps switching what place he gets because time is being messed with. Mm. But yeah, I don't like, think I've seen that. You one. probably have. You just don't. You you don't remember it. It's it's like the one two like it's it's time is getting all fucked up and like he's dating Troy in one timeline and then he's not dating her anymore and well like there's definitely so I watch TNG with James my partner and he hates all the time travel ones so if it says time travel in the description he'll skip (laughs) I know he also hates every mirror universe which I know to be fair. To be fair, the they're so yeah, goofy. but they're only in DS9 because TNG doesn't do any mirror universe stuff. But yes, all the DS9 mirror universe episodes are super goofy. But to me, like that's what I like. About, they're a sheer delight because they're so silly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> in a couple like, of the DS9 ones, like Worf is the emperor of the universe, basically. <laughs> yeah, I definitely haven't seen that because I would I would 100% remember that. But it also, so this is also the thing that I think is interesting is because even among the Klingons, Worf is a huge stick in the mud. Yeah. And all the other Klingons are like really funny, jolly. And like you can see why they would become like this culture of like, we were these fierce warriors and, you know, the center of knowledge and art and culture. And now we're just sort of like one of many. And that has turned into this robust, like, gift of gab kind of people. Like, if you mm-hmm. think of, like, the Irish or the Italian and and sort of, like, this reputation they have of being, like, very charming, you know, good with words and, you know, epic partiers. Um, that's sort of how I see the Klingons. And then you have Worf, who's like, that's not what our history is. You guys are the worst. <laughs> You're embarrassing me in front of the other races. We are the alien versions of Catholics. <laughs> yeah. How could you? You know what I mean? Like, And so that is why I think that's what I think the Balith truly is. Like, it probably was a ceremonial weapon at some point in the past. And then weirdos who, weirdo Klingons who are weird, like, obsessed with that era think of it as the ultimate weapon and even like modern klingons are like uh okay whatever um a phaser is truly the ultimate it just makes it too easy Uh, it's too easy to shoot someone with a phaser right like i think i think that that argument is kind of good that you'd be like and the argument that y'all made that is for intimidation that like you had a batleth because it would like if you could even use it without slicing your own hand off it showed that you were very skilled and that, coupled with how scary it looked, was, like, the intimidation factor. And so mm-hmm. I could see that being one of many weapons that they would carry, and then it became sort of, like, this symbol in more contemporary modern times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And two, I I didn't talk about this last time, but I think it's a good point that you can definitely fight with it, and you could definitely, like, cut someone's head off with a batleth. It's just not the optimal weapon in the universe like you can still learn to fight with it and hurt someone with it but it's just not as like optimal yeah. as like having a sword or something like that i th- i was listening to like another i think it was like shadowversity which she got really too like anti batlith for me he got a little animated wow he was saying like jackie chan 
Jackie Chan, you know, he he's a great martial artist. And, like, he can fight with a stool, right? Yeah. And you see him, like, he does a lot of fun scenes where he fights with, like, mops and chairs and that sort of thing. And, yeah, you could bash someone over the head with a stool. It's just not the optimum weapon, right, of, like, if you had a club and bash someone with a club. See, I think the other reason why I think maybe the battle has happened is that, as you said, the Klingons are, like, stronger than human Mm -hmm. and so in some ways if they're used to battling like smaller weaker species they don't really need momentum on their side like they can just essentially have this crescent circle blade that they like punch into everybody and that's Mm -hmm. enough to like take people out yeah there is one thing i like about the batleth is that it protects your hands like this is something that in sword fights in hollywood i'm always like just hit their knuckles just cut off their hands <laughs> i mean i maybe everyone else is dumb maybe this is my own personal like fear of something bad happening to my fingers but like uh-huh. i that is one thing like the blade guards your hands so no one's gonna accidentally like slice your knuckles off you know what i mean see but that was kind of my problem of like the batlith as like a thematic weapon is that it seems like very defensive and not as and not as offensive as it should be. Like I, I would think Klingons would be more interested in a weapon that sacrifices defensiveness for offensiveness. And it seems like the Batleth is is better for defensive, yeah. like a defensive strategy versus an offense. So that was kind of like that's kind of my, I guess, biggest problem with it is not. I like I said, I think it looks really cool. And it's really flavorful, and in themes, uh, in terms of it being designed for a television show, I think it really succeeds on an aesthetic, and it looks really cool, and it does look intimidating. Uh, and going back to like almost like, in terms of it like showing off, it's like almost like ant- antlers, yeah. you know, and and so like I don't know like right for deers like having cool antlers is like a big like you know, you're super sexy if you have, like, crazy antlers as a, as a deer. Are you speaking from personal experience? Exactly, from when I was a deer. And you didn't have antlers, but you saw people with antlers, and you are like, oh my yeah. god, did you <laughs> see oh, that? So cool. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Becky, did you see that girl's antlers? Clint, they girls, are so girl deers big. do not have antlers. What is wrong with you? And sharp. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I think here's how about this for the Batleth fitting in with Klingon POV. So Klingons famously will not ever surrender or give up. And so that's why it becomes a defensive weapon because it's like, even if you're the last Klingon on the battlefield and you're cornered, you're not going to put the Batleth down. You're just going to like knife punch people until they kill you. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it becomes such a defensive weapon is because there's only victory for Klingons. You know what would make, the the batleth make way more sense a horse is yeah a horse <laughs> <laughs> no is if it was like a lightsaber and they were made out of a metal that could deflect phasers like you know small thought, arm oh, laser yeah. fire like yeah, how I... cool would that be if there was a scene where they're trying to shoot like a like a klingon and he's just like bouncing all the the phaser fire off his batleth don't I feel like that has to happen in some episode. And if it doesn't, it's a tragedy. Because, yeah, that would be incredible that they're just, like, batting bullets back like it's a Mm -hmm. baseball. 
I, I said a horse, but I do mean, like, you said the spear, not sphere. I swear the whole time you're saying sphere is driving me nuts. Uh, but <laughs> the spear is a good tool, but the real advantage in hand-to-hand combat that you want is a horse or some kind of riding animal. Because once you get that, then it doesn't matter what anyone else has. If you have a horse, just chop their heads off before they can even poke you. And the horse will trample them, and the horse is terrifying. Yeah, but... I mean, maybe Targs, I don't know. I don't think they were very rideable because they're more pets. They're but... like dogs. Yeah, but exactly. And food. The existence the existence of pet Targs implies the existence of larger pet-like animals that could be worn and ro- rode into battle. But also, like, I maybe, but the Batleth is even worse for mounted combat, I believe. Like, it's even more think... unwieldy and... Like, it doesn't provide the reach you need to, to like, kill someone with it. You don't think you could just hold one handle and swing it down like a scythe and just, like, everybody's heads up? I mean, it's possible, but it's so, like, weirdly rounded and then unbalanced for that. What if you had a little chain on one end of the batleth and you could just swing it around like a mace? You just have to constantly be, like, a tornado of blade. Then it just seems like you couldn't control it precisely enough. To like, and then and then you throw it up and catch it by the handle. I mean, what what? Yeah, I just think you like you would really like. You're more likely to behead your horse, which is something you wouldn't mind because you hate horses. But they are unnatural. Yeah, I I, I mean, like <laughs> I would just be, <laughs> I'd be afraid for your animal. Like, what were the most the most popular Swords. weapons for like horseback combat? Like one. But the bow and arrow, right, yeah, is how the Mongolians really uh, yeah, I were mean, able to kick ass. The other thing about the Batleth is early swords weren't sharp. They were just heavy. You just sort of beat people to death. And it's hard for me to tell if the Batleth was oh, heavy uh-huh. or not. Like, if it's heavy, you could just walk around bashing people with it. But it is hard to tell. I definitely think it's very heavy compared to a sword or a, a sphere. You a, see? Uh, I'm saying I told sphere. you. <laughs> A spear, it's definitely a, a lot heavier compared to pretty much, like, I would put it on the level of a mace in yeah. terms of heaviness. Just instead of a mace, all the heaviness is balled up in one place, which makes sense, rather than distributed along the whole weapon. I mean, if you need the momentum, yes, and the, to conserve your energy, but Klingons are so strong and ferocious. That That is a good point. Where, in a fantasy world, that the the Batleth really might make sense for the body mechanics of of a Klingon versus it doesn't yeah. make sense for the body mechanics of a human. Also, so. you know what the ultimate argument is? Hmm. You will tell everyone you retract your statements about the Batleth, or I will tell them about your kissy doll time. <laughs> well, everyone, you know, Emily, you've just really convinced me. You've had some great logical arguments you would make a uh you would make a vulcan weep by how logical all these arguments were so i i retract my objections to the battle ah i you're forgiven come join me in some fine blood wine and uh trip to the avant-garde theater (laughs) everyone walks backwards and is naked it is very uh alluring i will sing some and thought provoking we'll we'll go out on some uh klingon drinking songs right oh stove the core 
I die in honor into thee. <laughs> All right, Stella guys. Well, I think that's a good way, place to end this discussion. So thank you, Emily. It was fun uh, doing a captain's log with you. And uh, until we see you next time, everyone, keep on trekking. Look at me. I am the captain now.